Today's podcast is brought to you by Brovid-19. Brovid-19 is a new virus specifically designed to only affect dumb frat guys crowding the beaches. Don't worry about your party time being affected, bruh, because Brovid-19 is conveniently designed in liquid form, so you can take it right down that beer bong or ice luge. Brovid-19 specifically knocks idiots out with cold-like symptoms for a few weeks while actual viruses are finally able to die down. Brovid-19, a quarantine mandate for morons. Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross, and today my guest, she is a Democrat running for the U.S. Senate in the home state of Corn, Larry the Cable Guy, Warren Buffett, a bunch of other things, I'm sure. I haven't really visited Nebraska, so I'm going to ask her about what kind of fun stuff to do is there. But uh, she is vying to unseat Ben Sass. Her campaign slogan is actually, Drain the Gas Out of Sass. Alicia Shelton, thank you so much for being my guest. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you today. So, so Alicia, I want to get started here because you, like I mentioned, your one of your campaign slogans is is "Drain the gas out of SAS." Um, yes. When you say that, are you in fact suggesting that Ben SAS has some ongoing digestive issues? <laughs> that is not I wish I wish I was that creative. I'm totally not. Um, and so we we talked about a play on words, how for a while people were talking about draining the swamp. And yeah. then I was like, you know, we just kinda need to put a stop to this thinking. Um and, and, and the thinking is his thinking. And so we thought, well, drain the gas, because if you have no gas in a car, it stops going. So we totally did not at all think the other way. I but, just um, I just I'll didn't know to- too many Omaha steaks, you know. I, I don't know, but um. I love it. No, I had no, no. I wish I could say I was that uh, thoughtful and calculated, but I'm not. I'm glad you laughed. I, I was worried I was going to throw that question out there to get get you going, and then uh, all of a sudden I'd hear a hang up and be like, "Wait, what the hell? Why did my campaign manager sign me up for this? What 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 is this?" But um, you went with me there, so I appreciate it. But I do want to I do want to ask you uh, just to start. I mean, why is it that you're running for office? So the reason that I'm running for this office is to specifically unseat Ben Sass. I just disagree with his choices. So, you know, as a mental health therapist, I don't believe that we have bad people. I believe in second choices or second chances. I believe that we have people who make bad choices or uneducated choices, right? And so at the end of the day, let's talk about the most basic things. Ben Sass voted against the coronavirus stimulus, the very first one that was presented. Uh, He was one of the eight who, in his stance was, if somebody receives an additional $600 for unemployment, they won't want to return to work. Well, in my very own state, I've helped people apply for disability, and it's not an easy thing to do. Most people that I know want to work. In fact, they feel lost if they're not able to work. And so for me, that's just an example of why I'm running, because he has been out of touch with his constituents. You're not able to meet with him. In 2017, I went to D.C., had an appointment. I met with his intern instead of him. 
although he assured me that there would be a meeting. And the biggest thing is that I just don't see growth in the area that we need to see it federally. And when it comes to a United States senator that has the power to represent the people and stand up for the people, he's lacking in that area. I believe that I'm the person who can do it because I'm a master negotiator. Um, I've been trained in this, in, the, in this area. I know the difference between compromise and negotiation, and I'm also a lifelong advocate. So before I was doing therapy, I was doing case management. And so I've also grew up in poverty, was able to overcome that, put myself through school. I attended an HBCU um, and went up from there. So I can relate to just about anyone from various backgrounds. And I've taken my experiences in the communities that I've worked in intentionally to do that, to try to be a light in areas where there's not much light. And, and I'm wondering, like, uh, we talked very, very briefly about this before the interview, but or before we went live here, but, um, you know, Nebraska isn't typically a state where Democrats do well in. Like, how are you, you just mentioned being a master negotiator. Um, mm-hmm. How do you talk to folks who, you know, aren't progressive, aren't Democrats? You know, they, they typically vote, you know, they're farm kids and, you know, they kind of grow up with a different background than certainly folks on the coast do. Um, how are you, I mean, I feel like when you, sometimes they hear the word Democrat or they hear the word liberal or they hear the word progressive, like those are just immediate turnoffs. How do you talk to folks like that and get them to, to kind of see your side? Well, I mean, what I start off with is I introduce myself as Alicia, you know, because at the end of the day, um, I have I have family members, I have friends that are Republicans, but uh, we are all individuals and we all want the same thing. And so what I find is talking about what we have in common. And so anytime that I ask individuals, we all want to be debt free. We all want to be able to earn a decent living, and we all want access to health care. We want our children to be safe and healthy. Those are the main issues. And so when I talk to someone in rural Nebraska who may be a registered Republican, and they ask me, well, what do you, what do you think about you know, farming, or what are your thoughts about this? Uh, I just have to bring up the facts. And the facts are, from 2016, you know, we had uh, a number of farm bankruptcies, but they've increased drastically. And in 2019, we have a record farm debt of $416 billion with a B. And so that has increased drastically from 2016. So I think that when we're able to come together, the bottom line is, is Ben Sass taking money out of your pocket? And if he is, we need to do something about it. Yeah. Well, and, and you mentioned farming. I mean, I read that your first job uh, at the age of 13, was detasseling corn. Um, <laughs> call me a city boy, but um, what the hell does it mean to de- detassel corn? Is that What does that mean? So when there's a corn stalk, there is a tassel that actually grows up in it. And you have to remove that tassel so the corn can continue to grow. <laughs> so there's prime time periods where you have to do this. And I'm, I was a city girl when I when I did this. I had no idea. I didn't know anything about, you know, different types of mud and bugs. And I didn't even know what a cornfield looked like. I think Children of the Corn came out after. <laughs> so I don't even remember. So, you know, but... 
honestly, what it taught me was uh, to it, it was the foundation for my work ethic. So when you go on a cornfield, if you can imagine thirteen little thirteen year olds, you know, with a squad leader who's maybe sixteen, uh, and we're walking four to a squad with one squad leader, and we're going down in a big, huge cornfield. After a while, you don't see anybody else. So you really have to work as a team. You have to move as a team. If somebody falls behind, you've got to jump on their line and help take that tassel out because uh, you can't leave anyone behind. And so that's the that instilled a really great value system for me. Um, and I love I love that experience. It was wonderful. Well, you mentioned Children of the Corn and, and just describing that. I, I'm pretty sure that tonight I'm going to have the worst nightmares about detasseling corn. Alicia, so so thank you for that. I, I, oh wait, a league of their own. That's a cornfield, right? Like if you build it, they will come. I think that was a cornfield too. So that's a happy movie. So maybe think about that one. <laughs> you're getting in my dreams. See, that's that's your mental health background right there. Getting you're you're playing you're playing mind games. You're playing. It's May the fourth, so you're playing Jedi mind tricks with me. Um, that's hilarious. Speaking of mental health, though, I know that you, you mentioned, obviously, that's your background. We are going through a pandemic. I just, I want to take quick, you know, a quick minute to just ask you about the mental health side of, of what, what we're going through right now, because I think, obviously, there's a lot to focus on. There's a lot of people who are um, <sighs> either getting sick from this virus or hurting financially, uh, but mentally, uh, can you just talk a little bit about that and, and from your background, like what? what kinds of impacts people are having? Yeah, so I think we already had a high number of PTSD and anxiety. I, at least I was seeing that in kids here in Nebraska with the mass shootings. Uh, there are, we have a generation of young kids that don't feel safe, right? And so... Uh, coupled with everything that we have, when this virus has occurred, we are now seeing a high level of anxiety because people are not able to do what they, what's their normal level of functioning. And with mental health, when we diagnose some a condition, we are diagnosed and looking to see, are you unable to do your normal level of functioning. If you cannot complete your normal level of functioning, then we'll, we might say, oh, he, he's depressed. He can't leave the house, X, Y, and Z, right? So we are seeing that many, many people are experiencing uh, symptoms of what you could consider uh, depression and anxiety simply because they are not able to do what their normal routine is. Uh, and then we have a different level, a deeper level, where we call it secondary trauma. So secondary trauma is, this might not be happening to me, but I'm, I'm, I'm witnessing or I know somebody who is a nurse and I'm witnessing the conditions in which, in which they're trying to work and I feel really uh, sad about it and it's affecting me. Um, so we call that a trauma that we're experiencing on a secondary level and we can get that from the news all day long. So what we are finding is that even in calling voters to, you know, talk to them about me, some of them bring up, yeah, I'm really having a hard time. And I'm like, oh, have you been limiting your news time? Or have you tried <laughs> to learn something new or read a good book lately? You know, like I'm also uh, talking to them because I have that level of compassion where I actually want to make sure you're okay. It takes not very much for any of us to have a weak moment. Anybody can have negative thoughts or suicidal thoughts. And so I think that we have to we are in a state where we literally have to check on individuals to make sure everybody is okay because it's, this is out of our hands. We can't control it. And being unable to, to even control what you're doing in your day, uh, that's right there a great formula for anxiety. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine like, uh, you know, as a candidate, you, you want to get the vote out. Right. But at the same time, mm-hmm. at the same time, you're telling people, hey, you may want to not pay attention to uh, people like me too much. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? It's like do your research, but maybe have a designated time where you're going to do that research. Right. Like, you know, yeah, well, you can watch the news, uh, but maybe check out once a day or check out for the morning news and just watch the evening news, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, just offering suggestions. It's not been to the point where I felt like, OK, wait a minute, this might be a therapy session. Let me call you some help. <laughs> you know, it's not gotten there. So that's great. But it's been neighborly advice and, and I love it. What what kind of uh, neighborly advice on on just like uh, mental health would you give, say, uh, Donald Trump? <laughs> oh. I know, I know. Let me get back to you on that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think that the, the most difficult thing to do in this world period is to attempt to understand another perspective. For, for various reasons. Um, I think that he would benefit from implicit bias training. Uh, that is a training where you understand um, kind of like where you might be partial to. Like we all have preferences, right? Everybody has preferences all day long. It might reveal to you that you actually do prefer something that you don't realize that you do. Um, I think that would be a really great start for him because, again, you know, I don't think that we have any – I think his choices – he's making bad choices right now. And I don't think that he actually a hundred percent understands the, the death or the gravity. He doesn't understand how deep they go. I don't think he could. And so from my perspective, with my mental health background, what I see is somebody and some choices that are causing a large amount of anxiety to the population. Uh, and what he sees is, you know, he has to make swift decisions uh, without a lot of insight and he's just going through the motions. And so I think implicit bias training would be a really great foundation for him. Today's podcast is brought to you by Stakeum, the only product that actually cares about the pandemic. The health and safety of this great nation is our passion. While our product destroys public health, our tweets help strengthen it. Wash your hands, then use those hands to open a box of Stakeup. Seriously, we need you idiots to stay virus-free so we can continue to pump you full of delicious, leathery meat. So what do we do now? At this strange imposition, how do we define something with no definition? Man, I'll give it a shot. This life, it's a battle, and I'd rather fight for good than be herded like cattle. The odds are against us, government won't defend us, and they draw the districts so nobody represents us. Ice caps are melting. How important is uh, mail-in voting? And also, uh, how are you, you know, it sounds like you're obviously making a lot of calls. I imagine some some virtual town halls, some Facebook Lives. Um, What kinds of things are you doing to get the vote out, but also uh, to just, you know, inform people how they can go and vote? Okay. Um, So voting by mail is super important for various reasons. We don't yet understand every facet of this disease. Uh, So in the beginning, it was, you don't need to wear a mask. And now it's encouraged that you wear a mask. And so if you look at actually did a reopen, a coronavirus reopen plan that I put on medium.com, that's also linked to my social media platforms. Um, And so if we if we get the masses out too soon, uh, then we can see an influx 
everywhere, which would flood our infrastructure, meaning our hospitals would not be able to have room and space for these patients. And I think everyone, I've worked in hospitals for many years, largely most of my background, I have been a therapist in a clinic or in a hospital setting. So think about uh, your Wi-Fi network. And when everybody gets on your Wi-Fi network, uh, sometimes it's hard for you to have a strong connection. Well, imagine if you had millions of people on an electronic health record in a hospital that you utilize to order labs, scans, uh, medicine, and that might break down. Right. And so I think we have to understand it from that perspective because there are no paper charts anywhere anymore. And so if you want access to the lab, the only way to do that is to put it into the computer. So we also have to think about our infrastructure. Um, the other thing that I would say is that just the best way for, for us to protect not only ourselves but our family members is to make sure that we are limiting our interaction um, in open spaces with people in close lines. And we all know that when you go in person to vote, that's what it looks like. Uh, you can't control a person standing too closely to you. And you also don't know if somebody has a temperature or has had symptoms. And in this condition, what we're understanding is that you could be asymptomatic and still a carrier. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think that it's important to vote by mail. And then what my campaign has been doing is we've kind of flipped it completely upside down <laughs> and been focusing largely virtually. So every Sunday we have a Shelton Slay Sunday. I'm super excited Love about it. it. Love I, I, it. Yeah. Well, I, I think of play as a term of empowerment, right? And the best thing that you can do is empower people and give them the information. That's what you're doing right now. You're sharing the information, using your platform to empower. Uh, so we're doing that. We had our first uh, get out the vote rally. This was something that we had scheduled initially. We talked about um, not doing it, but then we did it on Zoom and streamed it to our Facebook just to make sure that people could have access to it. And we still played the songs we talked about playing in the beginning. We still had the speakers. So it was very exciting to do that. So what we are doing now is calling voters, uh, virtual platforms via Zoom, Facebook, YouTube channels, ads virtually. We have a commercial ad on the TV channels out here. So it's just been thinking outside the box and trying to find a way to incorporate and reach every single age category. Well, you, 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 you said it's called Shelton Play. Is that right? Shelton Play Sunday. Shelton Play Sunday. See, okay, so you've got Shelton Play Sunday. You've got drain the gas out oh, of. Sorry, Shelton Slay, like Slay, like Beyonce Slay. Oh, 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 yes, yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have. Yeah, no, that's okay. No, I. Uh, you know, actually, Beyonce makes. I, I usually get one or two Beyonce references in here per show, so uh, <laughs> I appreciate you helping me make, make my my quota there. Um, it's true. That actually happens. I don't know. Like I obviously don't, I don't always bring them up, but they get, they get in there. I was, uh, I think it was, uh, John Ossoff I was interviewing from Georgia and he, he, he made sure that we got Beyonce, we got Mariah Carey, we got Justin Timberlake. It was as if we were doing like, yeah, it was, I felt like I was doing like the top 40, like from 2006 or something. Um, (laughs) but, uh, but no, I just I'm like you should start a PR agency. If I mean you've got like drain the gas out of SAS, you've got I mean you've got all the like you're 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 good with these taglines. Let me tell you. Um, let me ask you slightly uh, different question. I told you this before, but I've never really been to Nebraska. I've actually heard some good stuff about Omaha. Uh, I know yeah. you've got. I, 
I know you've got a, I probably wouldn't do well there for, for like, I'm a, I'm a vegan actually. So I don't know if I would really do well with the whole Omaha steaks, but I know there's like the zoo. Tell me like, what are some places if I'm going to Omaha for the first time that I got to go check Uh out? Like, you know, again, this is kind of assuming that, uh, you know, let's say this is like 2024 when I can leave my apartment and and be okay. Um, (laughs) well, um, so I actually, when I moved here, I was raised vegetarian, and so I didn't have, um, you know, meat until we moved here, and my parents got divorced. And so I I don't eat steak either. I, I don't eat beef. I don't eat pork. However, we have a really great community here. Like, we have Modern Love is a really good uh, vegan restaurant. Um, they have so many good options. But other than the zoo, we do have a good, we have the community playhouse. Uh, we we have the Orpheum Theater that has Broadway across America that, you know, comes here. Uh, we have really good entertainment on that level. And then we also have so much like yoga in the park, jazz on the green. Um, those are activities that I'm really missing right now. <laughs> so <laughs> there is a, there is a community of, and we have like really great art museums. Um, so there, there is a community of kind of, uh, where, where I feel like Omaha gives you the space to just be and explore. And I love that about it. That it's just, who do you want to be today? Who are you? Or do you have any questions? Do you want to explore this area of town over here? Um, and so it's nice because we do have where places where you can get authentic meals um, based off of the culture. There is Omaha has a little bit of, I don't know if we, I'm not good with like census numbers. My husband's like someone that's really good with numbers, yeah. but it appears to be. Uh, just from observations that we have uh, a large like immigrant population come in here. So we have a lot of different diversity that's been coming in Nebraska in the past few years, but we have Midtown Crossing, we have the old market, we have the hay market in Lincoln and all of us are Huskers fans. So um, <laughs> that's a big deal for us. Now you can't talk about our Huskers, but well, well. if you ever have the opportunity to go to a Husker game, it is fun on another level. Like everybody is, your friend as long as you are a Husker fan Um, (laughs) you know we're sharing popcorn we're high-fiving we're having a great time with people we've never met before Um, and so it is it's very open there's there's a level of love here and I've been speaking about that wanting to bring love back to the table um, that I've been noticing uh, when Trump became president I counseled a large amount of clients that very next day. I had people flooding in, walking in to be seen because they were worried about the state of our country. Yeah. Um, and I think that you can you can uh, sometimes just feel the fear that people have. And I think we just need to let that go, move forward, you know, be empowered by the right to vote uh, and, and bring love back to the table. That's great. I mean, and you, I'm not going to lie. You know, uh, I mentioned the PR agency aspect of, of being able to, with your taglines and everything, but now you've taken this a whole new level with like, you know, this is like, um, I'm like, I've got my own Yelp on the line here, you know, I'm, I'm getting like recommendations <laughs> on restaurants and places to go, like theaters. This is fantastic. Let me ask you last question for you. I know this is tough. Okay. I know you have two dogs, Charlie and Snoopy. Which one is your favorite? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't say that I have a favorite. Um, I will say that we adopted them from a rescue. So they came from a puppy mill. And being a therapist, I did not 
you know, I, I was ready for the challenge, but Charlie has separation anxiety. So when we first got her, um, and they're litter mates, so they're brother and sister. Um, she, she was different in the aspect that she couldn't sleep unless something heavy was on top of her. Um, and that was really odd for us. And then she could not be comfortable if she could not see you. So if you were speaking and, and you were in a different room, <laughs> she would flip out. She'd bark, she'd run around. Um, so I, we probably have had to put the more, more time into helping her grow in that area and being confident enough to explore and, and not have to have us, you know, walking behind her or beside her, which has been great. Um, Snoopy is really chill. He's really laid back. He's just kind of like, hey, he's really like Snoopy. Like, hey, is this what you want to do today? Like, he's a really cool dog. And Aww. so they both have their strengths. Um, Charlie loves to cuddle. And so um, they're both amazing and have made our lives really awesome. That's great. Yeah, my, my fiance and I have, we've got like five five animals. We've got three dogs and two cats. And so uh, they're all adopted, uh, you know, from various times and, we kind of just have a we we have kind of a, a our own little our own little zoo going on over here. But uh, <laughs> I I am a big fan of um, the the adopting uh, pets and stuff. So that, I just, I saw that I was like I have to. I ask. am too. Um, well, thank you for asking about that. Absolutely. Well, well, fine. Fi- actually, final bonus question: What's the number one thing you've learned since you've been running for uh, for Senate? Hmm. Number one thing that I learned, I think that what I would have to say is that we are not very different. Um, so I already had that, that I kind of had maybe an idea that, hey, uh, maybe, you know, there's a population that wants a certain era thing and um, we all want to be safe, but I never really tuck it into politics. I don't think that there's, we always do a good job of allowing people to express how they feel with politics. Like politics is something you're taught not to really talk about. But in talking about it and getting down to the wire, I've been able to have really great conversations across party lines to determine that, excuse me, it doesn't matter if you are Democrat or Republican, nonpartisan, independent, whatever you want to label yourself as, you're Mm -hmm. still an American. And in America, we want, we are the land of the free, the land of the brave. We want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And doggone it, I'm going to make sure that you have that because you are in here with me. We are all Americans. So, yeah. That's great. Um, well, I wish you, uh, so much luck here. I know it's coming up a week from now. Where can folks check you out on social media and, and how can they support your campaign as we come down to the wire? So, uh, we can, I can be found at Shelton And so that's S H E L T O N F O R Senate.com. And then I am at, uh, Shelton number four Senate on Twitter and then Shelton for Senate on Facebook, as well as Instagram with the F O R. Um, and so the support that I need right now would be donations. If you want to go to my website, Shelton for scroll down to the red button and donate $2, $5, whatever you can. If there's something I said that has influenced you, that donation would be super helpful in allowing us to continue to uh, increase our visibility across Nebraska. We also have a store, so if anybody wants to purchase merchandise that says drain the gas out of SAS, feel free to visit <laughs> that on our website. Um, um, I, will, but yeah. I will be purchasing a drain the gas out of SAS uh, Maybe a like a I like stickers. That's kind of my thing. So if you've got some, if, okay. I don't know if you got a sticker there, but I I will I will buy a few of them and um, 
like just my whole my whole laptop will just be draining the gas out of sass. <laughs> so I don't have the stickers on the website, but if you would like to send me your address uh, via the email. I can make sure that we get you some stickers. Oh, see, that is that's 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 why I do the podcast for the stickers. Um, <laughs> I love it. But uh, no, uh, Alicia, you seem fantastic, and um, uh, I really again wish you the best of luck, and thank you so much for doing the podcast. And uh, I hope to uh, to catch up with you. And, and one more thing, I just want to say thank you so much for the work that you do, um, just in mental health. Uh, you know, obviously with the pandemic, it's a huge thing, and I think a lot of mental health care workers are are still, you know, on the front lines, but even regardless of that, just what you, what you do is, uh, I feel like underappreciated in general. And, uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. This was a great conversation. Um, and I hope that everybody has learned a little bit more about Alicia Shelton for Senate. Today's podcast is brought to you by Steakum, the most amazing frozen sliced beef you've never tried. Delicious beef trimmings formed into a large block, frozen, then sliced thin. Mmm, now that's the American dream. The possibilities are endless. Of course you can make a delicious Philly cheesesteak, but you could also make spicy fajitas. Or give that wussy salad you're eating a little hot beef injection. The fun doesn't stop there. Steakums can also be used as a heavy-duty scrubbing sponge, replacement shingles on your roof, a ceiling patch for leaking bicycle tires, or to stop the bleeding from fresh knife or bullet wounds. Steakum's thinly sliced mystery meat. The only mystery is finding something you can't use it for. The odds are against us. Government won't defend us. And they draw the districts so nobody represents us. Ice caps are melting and the storms are persistent. Guns so easy to get that war is consistent. It's all overwhelming. So where to begin? Find somebody in pain and show a kindness to them. Welcome to the Justin News Podcast. My name is Justin Cross, and today my guest, he's a community college instructor. He's also a candidate for the U.S. Senate in his home state. Well, actually not just his home state, but the home state of actor Nick Nolte, which is Nebraska for people who aren't diehard Nick Nolte fans, which I don't know why you wouldn't be, but that's a different topic for a different time. Andy Stock, thank you so much for being on the Justin News Podcast. Glad to be here. Are you, Andy, are you a Nick Nolte fan? <laughs> I'm a huge Nick Nolte fan. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I was talking about Nick Nolte the other day with uh, my mother from about, uh, we were staying about 12, 15 feet away, just because I think uh, we need to go further than six feet. Um, so she lives near me, and I walked over there, and she, she went to... Uh, High school with Nick Nolte, so oh for real, uh, she, he, yeah, he was a couple years uh, older than she uh, was, but uh, yeah, there's my Nick Nolte. Wow, connection. I'm not gonna lie, I I threw that in there, and uh, I was googling. I think I mentioned this right before we got on here, but I know very little about Nebraska. I know nothing. I know I know jack shit about <laughs> Nebraska. So I Googled like famous people from Nebraska and it was like, okay, Larry, the cable guy, Warren Buffett. And I was like, oh, Nick Nolte. I'm going to, this is obscure, like kind of. And uh, you just, you just called my bluff right there, Andy. <laughs> just, just trying to prove that it, it is a small state and we're, and we're all connected. <laughs> well, so I, I noted in the beginning that you are, uh, 
you are a college professor or an instructor in a community college. Um, let me ask you just offhand, is it, is it harder to talk to students or to voters? Which is more difficult? Like, which ones, like, tune out and start looking at their phones more often? <laughs> well, I, I am a huge stickler in the classroom about not looking at phones. So, so maybe it's harder to talk to voters because I have a, I have less authority. Uh, where I, I can't always set the ground rules. So, uh, um, there, there are two different types uh, of communication. And one, you're, it's more um, of a conversation with students where, where I'm just trying to ask questions uh, and get them to uh tell me what they know, and then when you talk to voters, you're uh, obviously in certain situations, you're, you're listening, but other times, a lot of times, you're, you're actually there to, to give a little talk, and so it's more of a, it's more of a just deliver your message type of situation. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I've, I've you know, for the folks out there listening to this, uh, Andy and I have never met in person, but when I saw... When I saw your profile picture, before even knowing what you did, I was like, he looks like a college professor. Like, the beard. I was like, he's got that college professor beard. I was like, I wonder, is there, like, a certain product that, like, college professors use in order to, like, make them, you know? Is that yeah, just... before, you get, before you get your doctorate, you do have to go through special exams to make sure uh, <laughs> you've got the right wardrobe, the right facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, I do. I mean, this is your. Uh, I'm guessing this is your first foray, like, po- like officially into into politics as a candidate. Is that right? Uh, well, not not really. I mean, it depends on how how far back you want to go. Uh, actually, in the state of Nebraska, uh, we have a board of regents for our university in Nebraska, and. And it is a constitutional position, and it also says that each campus should uh, needs need a uh, student regent, and, and you get so you serve on the board of regents, but you don't get you, you get to vote, but your votes don't count. <laughs> but uh, I was I was the student regent from uh, University of Nebraska at Kearney for one year, so I guess. And then prior and prior to to this run, actually. Uh, two years ago, I ran for uh, county treasurer in Lancaster County, Nebraska, and uh, and, and that did not go well. <laughs> I, 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 it was it was me, and when I got in, uh, when I got in, I was the only candidate. And then uh, right after I got in, I found out that there was another candidate coming who had been like working on her campaign for quite some time, and and I was just kind of. That that was my first uh, first time in politics, and and I learned a lot in getting my butt kicked. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned like back in the day, you were you said it was like a, you get to vote, but it's not like your vote counts. And I just that reminded me of uh, our electoral college system. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you are a, an unabashed progressive in a state that is pretty red. I mean. What what is that like? Do you do you feel like your message of you know I I read in an interview that um, that you're you're in favor of you know universal health care a thousand dollar monthly stipend for every American um, you know something that is near and dear to my audience's heart which is a uh, legalized weed um, mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I'm in favor of all those things, but like, again, I, I am a pretty progressive guy who's, who kind of spent most of my years, uh, at least as an adult in California. How does that, do, do you think that's realistic that it'll resonate with the folks of Nebraska? Uh, yes, I, I, I actually do. I know the, the skepticism in your voice, I, I also hear in the voice of a lot of Democrats here in Nebraska, that they agree with me, but how, how is this actually going to play out uh, in a state like Nebraska? So um, here's why I, I actually think it works uh, and, and can work. And, and I know it, it sounds crazy, but I think if I could get, if I do end up getting through this primary, that I would have a real shot in November. And the reason is... Uh, I think the, I, the, the, the notion people have of the political spectrum from left to right is an, is an outdated understanding of where people are at. That is, for example, Bernie Sanders must be, uh, in, on the political spectrum, must be uh, the farthest away from say, uh, uh, Rand Paul, right? you got Bernie on the left in the Senate, and you've got Rand Paul, Paul all the way on the right. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that's true. I think our spectrum is not a straight line from left to right. I think it's more like, it looks more like a horseshoe. And, and what you have in the center of that horseshoe is establishment politics. And what you have at the ends are kind of the anti-establishment left and anti-establishment right, and they're actually pretty close on a lot of issues, like you mentioned legalizing marijuana. Rand Paul wants to legalize marijuana, and so does Bernie Sanders. It's, it's, it's the center left and center right that, that is wanting to keep the, the war on drugs moving full steam ahead. Right. That's interesting. It, you, and I have to say, uh, not to diverge too much from what you said, but you mentioned Rand Paul and Bernie Sanders as kind of like the, you know, the the prototypical polar opposites. But I will say, not just legalize weed, but they also both have, I feel like, the craziest hair among male <laughs> senators. Um, I mean, let's be like Rand Paul's just looks like moss, you know, Spanish moss, um, and Bernie Bernie doesn't know what a comb is, so. Um, no, but that's, that is, a- I think I, I think I saw an interview where Rand Paul says he cuts his own hair and I actually throughout my life off and on. And now that we're in quarantine, I, I'm doing it again, but, but I actually cut my own hair many times in, in my life. I cut my <laughs> wife's hair, but that only happened one time and, and then she <laughs> got very angry and didn't want to do it again. But, um, who, who cut your beard though? That's what, I mean, like, I feel like the beard is what, you know, again, I've never met you, but I feel like the beard is what like makes that's you know that's your staple. Like I can't grow one like that. I just physically can't do that. So I feel like that's that's where the real artist comes in there, Andy. So the, so the beard. Well, when I ran for county treasurer, I just like a beard, and, and but I'm always <laughs> messing around with my facial hair. I'm I'm one of these guys that just like can't pick a look and stick with it, and it, and it has more to do with. Uh, like kind of ease of what I'm doing. So like when I'm 
lazy, then I grow a beard, or when it, I'm, it's summer and it's hot, then I shave it off, or then I might wear just a mustache or, or whatever. Um, but before the county treasurer's race, I just decided, this was my first foray into politics, uh, and I decided, you know, and I had a beard at the time, I was just like, you know what, I'm not going to shave my beard just because I'm running for office. That's, like, I, I, I don't want to be that type of candidate that just does everything you're supposed to do. I'm just going to wear my beard. And so my wife took the headshot picture, and and then I lost that that that, that election, and then uh, and then I started thinking about this Senate race, and I still I, I didn't want to go get more headshots, <laughs> and so <laughs> so so I just figured, well, I better grow the beard back and kind of. Similar to the way it was, uh, people won't recognize me. But yeah, the, the the beard is a is a result of me not wanting to get another headshot. I, I like how see that resonates with me because uh, because it's kind of laziness, and I can resonate <laughs> like that. That I'm glad you spend a lot more time on the issues than than the you know the facial hair and all that. But I I <laughs> I, I will say, I mean. You know, we, you you mentioned Bernie Sanders a second ago, and I know that that is somebody that it seems like you have a lot of similar positions with. Bernie Sanders said at the end of his campaign, you know, recently, uh, with you know, in in this this election, he said uh, something along the lines of like, "We've won the debate around ideas, but we've lost the debate uh, on electability." Kind of going back to my my previous question, I kind of just to push you a little bit more on that. I mean, sure. Is there, when it comes to like somebody like Bernie, who, like I said, imagine you've got a lot in common with, when you hear that coming from Bernie's own mouth, does that inform how you're running for office and how you're positioning and how you're talking about the issues you're talking about? Certainly to like, not just like somebody like myself, but like to folks who Mm -hmm. are on farms and who, you know, get weird, you know, like pull out a gun when they hear the word Democrat. Um, so not, not, not really. And, and and here's why I am very progressive, but I also have my own ideas. And and in fact, uh, kind of the deal I made with with myself when I ran is that my whole strategy was going to be, uh, to be as honest and straightforward uh, as I as as I can be, uh, that that's my only strategy is to answer questions honestly. And and a lot of times I agree with Bernie Sanders. Sometimes uh, I don't. Um, I would say uh, a lot of times I agree with Andrew Yang. Uh, and when, where we differ, we differ. And same with Elizabeth Warren. Or, or pick your pick your former presidential candidate, uh, you know, <laughs> I either agree with him or I disagree with him. Um, but the, in terms of, in terms of Bernie Sanders, he, he's a self-described socialist and, and, and I haven't positioned myself, uh, in any way other than what I honestly believe. And I call myself a people first capitalist. Now, does that work better in Nebraska than, uh, a, a democratic socialist? Yeah, probably. I think, Maybe uh, people don't might be less welcome to uh, the label. My my policy positions are 
pretty similar on a lot of issues, although they, there are differences, uh, which I can go into uh, perhaps more later. But, but here's what I think. I mean, I, at my core, believe we, we just, what we most need in this country is, is to level the playing field in the sense of setting up a baseline that no one falls under. And then from there, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a good, solid baseline. It's not just a, a, a hodgepodge of programs slapped together like we have now. It, it does involve an income you could, if you had to, live off of. It does involve free health insurance, no co-pays, and all that sort of thing. And, of course, public school. I also... Uh, advocate for universal high quality daycare, free college tuition, and these these programs that go to everyone, everyone, and from there, then you can let our capitalist economy play out without government coming in and putting its thumb uh, on the scale to benefit certain companies or, or certain classes of people. To me, I think I am much, much more of a, of a free market capitalist than, say, the, the current Republican senator who's for all sorts of corporate welfare and handouts and loopholes. And I think that really ticks Nebraskans off. And by the time November rolls around and, this, and, and, and we see the economic fallout from this kind of corporatist thinking... I think uh, a lot of people are going to be unhappy with kind of the corporate corruption we have in Washington. Today's podcast is brought to you by Steakum Frozen Beef Slices. We put the um in amazing. Don't take it from us. Listen to what actual satisfied customers have said. Our first review is from Deidre, who says... Absolutely horrible. Actually can't believe people consume this. It tastes like meat mixed with cardboard. No, thank you, Deidre. And here's one from Amanda. This stuff is greasy, crumbly, and I really can't describe the smell and flavor other than terrible and overpowering. I made these a week ago and find myself cringing every time I think about them. So true, girlfriend. So true. And finally... If you're not already convinced, listen to Stiz2003, who writes, This is worse than the McDonald's pink slime. It's basically the garbage from butchering beef. The horrid taste of it talked to me all night. Well, who doesn't love to be talked to all night? If you ask us, that's a product that cares. Steakum, filling your heart with love. And heavily processed animal fat, but mostly love. Life is expensive. Music is cheap. I sold you my soul. You wanted it free. And nobody cares. That's easy to think. But we all give a shit just about different things. And the answer, my friend, man, is gone with the wind. The hurricanes came and blew away all our sins. So we get a fresh start. A new day in the sun. We were sick, but we're cured. And there's work to be done. So I'll write my rhymes. Use truth to fight I mean, he seems like this, like, sort of romanticized Republican in a way. Where it's like, you know, he, he talks about uh, 
bipartisanship and a lot of times you know he like I've, I've listened to interviews with him and at some point you're like okay this guy's not that bad he's he's fairly rational and all this but then to your point like he kind of he seems like he's he's in the pockets of, of uh, corporations, and he certainly doesn't stand up to Donald Trump when it comes to most. Of, he reminds me a lot of Marco Rubio in, in some ways. Um, but you know, is somebody like him worse? Would you say than a Mitch McConnell uh, or a Donald Trump? I mean, I only say that because, and I ask the question because I feel like. At least you know where Mitch McConnell stands. Like he's going to cock block anything that comes, you know, you know, any any, any anything that is Democrat uh, related, he is going to he's going to block that. Uh, and, and certainly Donald Trump will just say whatever he wants. But like Ben Sass tries to almost play at both sides. In your opinion, does that is that worse? In in how does that play with Nebraskans? Uh, I think it rubs them the wrong way uh, because. It comes off as, uh, I mean, the, the, I'm trying to think of a kind, kind way to put it. Don't, because don't, I, no, 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 don't, don't be kind. <laughs> this is not the podcast. It, 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 Tell us what you it, think. It comes off as phoniness. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, he clearly is uh, an articulate guy. He is well-spoken. Uh, he's, a, you know, educated at, at, at Harvard and, and Yale and... Uh, he has held high-level positions in the Bush administration. Uh, he has gotten a lot of money from investment banks as a consultant. Uh, he right. toured around, I think, getting the, consulting on on the problems of Obamacare back before he was a senator, and, and kind of a side gig to his already. You know, I mean, he's a, he's a he's a smart guy. Uh, he's a well-educated guy. He's an articulate guy, but he doesn't. At the end of the day, he he doesn't do anything that he says he stands for. Like, for example, uh, he he voted against extending, um, oh, giving giving workers paid sick leave. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 making it easier for people to get SNAP uh, food assistance during during uh, the coronavirus, and that was like a two hundred fifty billion dollar uh, proposal bill, uh, and it, it passed. He was one of nine senators who voted against it. And he got up there uh, on the Senate floor and talked about boy, we're creating this big government and, and, and I just can't do it. Like, wh- where's it going to stop? Uh, government can't be the answer and, and all this stuff that supposedly was his, based on his principles and, and that he wanted more federalism and, and all this nonsense. Uh, and I say nonsense because, what was it, a week later, he votes for a $2.2 trillion bill but what's the difference between the $250 billion bill and the $2.2 trillion bill? The difference is the $2.2 trillion bill had a bunch of corporate bailouts. And right. instead of going to uh, unfortunate people who lost their jobs and are hungry, uh, it was going to corporations and businesses and, you know, supposedly small businesses. Of course, they define 
small businesses as any business under 500 with under 500 employees. That seems like a pretty damn big business to me. <laughs> you got 499 employees and you're running around town calling yourself a small business. Uh, I, I don't know that I buy that. But, but anyway, so again, it's not, it's, it's this phoniness that he just got done saying he, he was worried about, about going too far in debt and then a, a week later, he's passing uh, a $2.2 trillion re- relief bill that is primarily ge- geared towards uh, businesses and, and corporations. And that's not even including the, the $4 trillion that, that the, the CARES Act uh, helped unleash from, from the Fed that allows them to extend their lending. So, um, so yeah, I, 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 I agree he has good... Uh, what would you, I kind of like when you play a video game and they have all these high ratings on speed, you know, your little <laughs> video game guy has all these like 99 on speed and agility yeah. and so forth. Yeah. But how he uses his little, uh, his little video game guy uh, is, is in a way that is to benefit uh, the, the rich and, and big corporations. And that's why on Twitter and so forth, I think the most accurate way to refer to him is, a, is as a corporatist. Right, right. No, that's I, – I was going to think – he kind of reminded me, especially the way you described it, he's like He's like Mitt Romney without the balls, you know, um, which is <laughs> – which is that's a – it says a lot if Mitt Romney and is the guy. By the way, the, guy. Uh, the, the funny story, Mitt Romney and Ben Sass were on a uh, – shortly after the impeachment – uh, if you can see me, I'm putting trial in quotes. It's hard to have a trial when you when you don't have any witnesses. Right. Uh, but shortly after that, he Ben Sass and Mitt Romney were on an airplane, and when they were getting off, the plane rose in a standing ovation for Mitt Romney. And I just <laughs> <laughs> and then Sass had to. I mean, he he has gone on TV shows. Uh, like Morning Joe and so forth, uh, calling himself, what did he call himself? Like a constant, I'm like a, an extreme constitutional warrior. This, of course, was like a year or two before the uh, the impeachment stuff. And, 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 and he just, on and on, he, he was a history professor at one point, and on and on about the importance of, of, uh, you know, uh, the, maintaining the power of the legislative branch in, in relation to the executive branch and then just folds like a, like a cheap. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, I was gonna say you're, you're a professor, like you're, you know, you teach people stuff like, I mean, to me, if somebody is referring to themselves as a warrior and they've never actually done any like real battle, um, they're full of shit. <laughs> I mean, I mean, to, right. it's kind of like one of those things. Like you know, you you would think that a guy who has studied actual warriors would know that he is not one. On a different note, uh, what's it like to run during a, a pandemic? You know, like how is? I mean, you did say you you've run for office before, uh, but like how is it? You're running for a, a, obviously a statewide office, a national office. Like, what is it like to run? when you can't actually go knock on doors and meet people in person? Um, well, I said I was going to be honest. Please. So, no, no, so no, no, no. If you want to go Ben Sass on me, one. you can lie. It's cool. <laughs> no, 
I'll be honest. This is um, this has been really helpful overall to my particular campaign. I ran a traditional, you know, I was progressive. Uh, but I was running for county treasurer, and, and to be honest, no one really gave a shit about what the issues were for yeah. county treasurer. You couldn't get anyone's attention. Yeah. And then the next year, my wife ended up running for city council, and we ran a, a traditional campaign in the sense of how do you campaign? Well, you put out mailers, and, and you knock on doors, and you get volunteers to make calls and all that stuff. And we did that, and she almost won her race. And I thought we were done with a, a kind of electoral politics um, and then this race came up and I didn't want to do it again because to be honest, um, running a traditional campaign, at least with my personality, just, uh, I, I don't like it at all. I don't like cold calling people. I don't like knocking on doors of just random people. Hey, here <laughs> I am. You want to talk to me? And, yeah, you know, and, and then you get on these calls and you're interrupt, you're interrupting people's dinner and, and. And uh, it's it, you, even if you do get a good call, you, so you've reached one person. That's just so. Anyway, so when I started running for this, I said I don't like door knocking and I don't like making calls. I I do enjoy speaking events and and, and getting up and, and meeting people after those events. But I do enjoy public speaking, and and I do enjoy things like I don't know making videos once in a while, and I do enjoy. Um, hosting on social media, and so I just said, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do what I want to do rather than force myself to do the stuff I don't want to do. So, so what ended up happening is because of social distancing, everyone was forced to run the campaign that I had already planned on running. Uh, <laughs> so, so it worked out very well, uh, and I, I probably shouldn't confess this. No, no, um, no, no, do it, do but, it, do it, Andy. <laughs> so the one guy in the race, uh, so there are seven of us running. I would say, uh, you know, uh, five of us seem to be actively campaigning. Probably four of us uh, are, are really kind of going as hard as we can. It is my opinion, not to be mean to the fifth one, and I'm not gonna. I'll let people guess who, who might be that fifth one. But I think four of us are just going every day as hard as we can. One of them, um, Christianisek, uh, super nice guy. Um, I think he spent. I, I haven't checked. I just read it in the paper. Something like eighty thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. I've spent. Uh, I, why am I tell, why am I talking about this? No, 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 I probably no. shouldn't be talking about this. I've spent, I would guess, somewhere in the neighborhood of one hundred and twenty-five dollars. Oh shit! I've spent, dude. I've spent more money on this podcast than you have. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, not that's not counting. That's not counting the uh, the the registration fee, which is like. Uh, Seventeen hundred and forty dollars. So, so, um, so you're basically saying you went to you went to an interview and you got a bad parking ticket, and uh, that's where your money. <laughs> well, no, the the establishment had a and, and don't get me started on the establishment, but the, the Lancaster County Democratic establishment put up a had a, a 
form, right? Before all this social distancing. And they're like, do you want to do it? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And, and then they said, great. you got to pay us 100 bucks. And I was just like, oh, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> why do I have to pay to come, come participate in a forum? But okay. So that was my big campaign expense. And I think the, I think I spent like $16 on, on checks for my, uh, my, uh, uh, campaign account and, and some, like 10 bucks on something else. I don't even know. Late <laughs> I think it, I, honestly, I think the other ten bucks are from fees because my campaign doesn't have enough money, and so my bank is charging me fees. And, and so anyway, but but honestly, uh, like I don't see where it makes a lick of difference. And yeah. I think my my thought was, you know, there are a lot of best selling authors now who just start by putting their book up on the internet. Um, yeah. In fact, uh, th- that, that Mars show with uh, Matt Damon, what was that called? See, this is where I, I'm no good. No, I, I pop culture. The last Matt Damon thing I know is Goodwill Hunting from 1996. I've got no fucking <laughs> okay. idea. I think it's called like The Martian or something. I don't know. Anyway, that started out as an internet book, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, that, that kind of oh, yeah, porn yeah. book. Oh, okay. Now, made, now like, I know what you're talking about. All right. Um, hundreds of millions of bucks. That started out on the internet. And then you got a lot of singers who just started off by putting up a video on YouTube. And my thought was, I've done the, I, I did the traditional thing and it didn't work. I wonder if there's just a more democratic way of running a campaign that isn't so much based on donations and, and asking for donations. Why is it that every time a candidate talks, Hell, even in the presidential debate, you've got people saying, and if you like what you hear, go to my campaign page and, uh, you know, Amy Klobuchar and give me 50 bucks or whatever. Like, why? Like, you you are on a national debate stage. You only got a minute to, to get out your message. Why are you wasting 15 seconds of that telling us where to donate? You know, I mean, right. come on, get your ideas out there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You would think that like that's kind of an implied thing. If they like your ideas, they will donate. But um, yeah, no, that that makes a ton of sense. And it's it's interesting because uh, I mean, I'm not going to say you predicted the pandemic with your campaign here, but like, uh, you know, it is uh, it's certainly (laughs) certainly worked out there. Um, Last thing I want to ask you about, I think this is something unique that I've I've learned from from following your social media is that, uh, you know, you talk about prisoners and you talk about uh, our, incar- our mass incarceration problem that we have in this country. How mm-hmm. – just talk real quickly when it comes to the coronavirus and how it's impacting people. Obviously, it's, it's impacting everybody in some way, shape, or form, but like prisoners. So that's, that's a – Big question. So let, let me just start by talking about why, for whatever reason, obviously I'm passionate about this and, and what the origins of that are. And that is, uh, I used to work as a, a public defender in, in Omaha for Douglas County. And and I just saw, like, just, just what a racket this thing was. I mean, really, it's just, it's just, there's it's just there's no reason for it. We are destroying lives. We are taking a, a person who is struggling and saying, 
we don't, we find kind of your lifestyle objectionable. So we, we think you can do better. And in order for you to do better, we're just going to pound the shit out of your life. We're just going to fucking destroy you. Because that's what it does. So someone, I had a guy, one of my first cases, he had a couple little plants in his, in his uh, house. He took care of his best friend who was on disability. And they lived together. And, and he, he had a couple little budding, I mean, not budding, they weren't budding. They, they looked like, in the pictures, it looked like a little kind of shoots of grass popping up through the, through the ground. They, and they arrested him on manufacturing marijuana. And by the letter of the law, yes. And, and anyway, he ended up going to the state pen for it. Uh, and obviously it wasn't his first time around, but I just thought, why, why are you doing this to this guy? He's nice. He's a good guy. And it just, it's so, so fucked up. It's so fucked up. It's fucked up. (laughs) And, and and it's happening to millions of people. We did not get mass incarceration in this country until after LVJ passes the, the voting rights act. So then LBJ leaves office, Nixon comes in, and lo and behold, we need uh, a, war on, a war on drugs, which starts our mass incarceration. But the reason I mentioned the Voting Rights Act is that mass incarceration is a way to stop black people from voting, period. Yeah. That's, that's why we continue to do this war on drugs. It's because uh, there are certain interests in this country that don't want uh, black people to exercise their constitutional rights and have a greater influence uh, on our society. Now, I'm not saying that's the majority of people. I'm saying there's a certain there's a there's a certain strong interest in doing that from probably a minority of people, but they can they can wrap it in this war on drugs and convince a majority that, oh my God, we got to keep this thing going. So anyway, having seen it up close and personal, personally, uh, having my wife who, who works in a, in a low income elementary school and seeing that the effects this war on drugs has on, has on kids uh, when they don't have a father because, they're they're incarcerated and so forth that just makes me mad and it makes me mad that people don't feel more shame for the for the way they vote um so that that's that's where the passion comes from and as far as coronavirus is concerned it's it's just now you're giving these people who pursued a happiness different than than perhaps most but aren't we supposed to be a country of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? That if if I want to pursue it this way, that's my business. But but because we we want to take a, a moral stand and, and we elect people to to do it, these people are now going to get extraordinarily sick, and many thousands of them are now going to die uh, when they should have never been in the prison system in the first place. Right. Absolutely. Uh, last question for you, Andy. Uh, you're in Lincoln, Nebraska. I have actually heard, I've heard good things about Lincoln. Um, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to be my my Yelp for a second. Like, what if I want to come up there and I want to go to a cool bar? Let's say it's like 2023, and I'm able to leave my apartment. Um, where where should I go? You're 20 or 23? No, 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 <laughs> no. The year, oh, the tw- year is 2023. I'm going to have no recommendations for a 23 year. I have no idea where you can go. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, so I, I want to I wanna go to, I want to go to the graduate bar. Okay. I want to go, I want to go to the, the bar that, that Andy hangs out at. Where do I go? What's your recommendation in Lincoln? Well, um, my favorite bar in Lincoln is uh, the Zoo Bar in, in downtown Lincoln. It's a it's a it's a blues bar that's been around forever, and uh, it's just it's by far the coolest bar in Lincoln. Uh, but if you were just going to to meet uh, friends for a beer, uh, I'd go to a place uh, called Lancaster's over off uh, uh, Highway Two. Uh, and, and I may be biased because uh, that's the the place uh, where I uh, first kind of hung out uh, and kissed my wife. So <laughs> maybe oh. I just have fond memories of it. But uh, Lancaster's uh, Bar, if you're just meeting for a beer, uh, want to find your future wife, I guess. Uh, uh, <laughs> but if you're looking for <laughs> just a cool place to hang out, maybe listen to some tunes. Go to the zoo bar. That's way sweeter than I, when you started that story. I was like, "Wait, is he still running a tab up there? Is this his way of paying his debt right now to the bar? Is to just promote <laughs> yeah, it?" That's right. <laughs> just a plug. Somebody's I'll knock fifteen bucks off my tab whenever whenever it opens up again. With the coronavirus. No, that is an, that's a cool story. That is uh, so okay. So you know, Tinder is one thing, Bumble is another thing, but. Uh, Go to Lancaster's Bar, and Andy Andy Stock recommends that that is where you'll find your uh, your your future partner right there. So, um, Andy, thank you so much for being on the podcast, and, and thank you for what you do. Um, where can folks find you? Uh, obviously, like you are a big social media guy. Where can people find you uh, on social media and, and your website? Uh, social media, Twitter. My handle is at Peasants Unite thirteen. And, uh, and yes, you don't need to DM me and tell me I need to change my Twitter <laughs> handle to be considered a serious candidate. I, I get a lot of those and I'm like, Hey, the handle stays. Um, and, uh, and my website is Andy stock for And, uh, and you can find me on Facebook as well. We will, uh, hopefully be in touch with you, you know, very soon here. I'd love to, uh, catch up with you even more uh, as we go down uh, in, in the whole election everything going, coming in November. Great. Uh, thanks for the invite. I, I had a lot of fun and hopefully uh, uh, maybe if I get through this primary, maybe we can do it again sometime before the general. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Andy. Yep. Bye. <laughs>